When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week we are joined by actor and podcast host Jerry Ferrara. This episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Guys, whatever you're wearing right now, Mack Weldon is better. Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershorts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. And Mack Weldon wants you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will still refund you. No questions asked. They aren't just comfortable. Mack Weldon looks good and it performs well too. It's good for everyday life, going to work, going on dates, and working out. All their products are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using the promo code JJ. That's easy shopping with great customer service for good-looking, super comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, and hoodies. MacWeldon.com, 20% off using promo code JJ. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick, powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, JJ Reddick. Hey guys, welcome back to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. I want to jump right into this week's guest. I just want to say we did a lot of basketball in a short amount of time as the season wound down. It's the off season. We're going to have a few non-basketball guests over the next few weeks. We'll be talking about a lot of interesting things. And as always, I'm sure our guests will cover the topic of basketball. Without further ado, let's get to this week's guest, Jerry Ferrara. He is an actor, a podcast host, a deli owner, an amateur basketball player, and a Knicks super fan. Did I miss anything? No, you actually, <laughs> when you said deli, I thought you were going to say like plays like Della Vadova. I thought that's where you were going with that, but you were talking about the sandwich deli. No, that was amazing. Okay, that, that pretty much covered all your bases. You do own a deli, right? In, I do. In, in LA? I own uh, yeah. a deli called Fat Sal's. There's actually five of them now. So uh, industrious. I love it. Uh, for anyone who has watched the show Entourage, you obviously know Jerry very well. He's best known for his role as Turtle on the show. Uh, he now has a recurring role as Joe Proctor on the show Power. Uh, which is a, a fantastic show. And you're also the host of two podcasts, mm -hmm. Bad for Business and Bad for Sports. For the listeners out there, explain the premise of, of the podcast. The premise of the podcast started, actually came from a television show. My girlfriend and I really loved that show, Newsroom, particularly the dynamic between Will and Mac. She was the producer. He was the on-air talent. So... Having grown up on like sports radio, that was my first form of entertainment. I wanted to get into 
podcasting. My girlfriend's a journalism graduate, so she actually has a background in all this. And we just started it, but I thought her being the producer, like, what's worse? They say don't do business with your friends. <laughs> don't do business with your family. So why not start a business with your girlfriend? That's a <laughs> right. great idea. So that was sort of the, uh, the background on it. I want to interject right here. You just called her your girlfriend. I know. That's stupid. But there's some news out there, I guess. You're breaking it. I'm breaking it. You're breaking news. On the podcast. Sorry for all your female listeners who will be heartbroken by this. But yes, I am an engaged man now. Congratulations. And it feels good. It feels even better than I thought it would feel. (laughs) Marriage is awesome, I have to admit. And as long as you're marrying your best friend, then you're doing it right. That'd be my only piece of advice. And uh, by all accounts, it sounds like... You're doing that. <laughs> I, you've had a long run on your podcast. Like my podcast is in its infancy right now. Uh, you're getting ready to to record and and produce and and release your hundredth episode. I'm curious to kind of get your take on the evolution of your own podcast and and your comfort level with doing that. Well, first off, too, like just seeing what has happened in the last two years with podcasts, seeing how many. There are like that's all I really listen. To. I can't remember the last time. I, I mean, obviously, I put music on in the car, but for the most part, I kind of load my program. Like I listen to yours. I listen to tons of podcasts. Particularly, too, I was really happy. That's why I, I kind of reached out on Twitter and was retweeting when you started yours because I really think that's that is now the coolest part of it is the fact that a current player who's taking the time out of his crazy busy schedule to do this is just that does more for the whole podcast industry than anything. And, you know, obviously Mark Marin having Obama on was <laughs> yeah. as big as it gets. So um, I don't know. It's just to me, it's the smartest medium. Television is now only consumed on demand and through apps. Yeah. And it's kind of where all our radio content, <clears throat> excuse me, is going to go. How it's evolved it's weird because it has evolved and in some ways it hasn't. Like we still make tons of mistakes. We still <laughs> have the occasional episode that doesn't record. And we decided early on we're going, we're not going to try to hide those mistakes. We're going to actually highlight the mistakes to yeah. the audience. And I think it helps make it relatable. We were speaking even off the air. I'm not good at getting guests. <laughs> I know for a fact I could have a even better guest roster than I already have, but I'm just not good at asking. I feel I just, I don't know. I just never been good at it. Like, and you and I even when discussing ours. It's like, yo, you down for a home and home? <laughs> yeah. So that yeah. helps. But we, uh, we have to look out for our fellow podcasters. Yes. But I, I, I agree with you. I, there's even some people that I feel like I'm like gonna eternally put in the back of my pocket. Right. But, you know, it's like, of course. Like for you, you mentioned Kevin Hart. Like, Kevin Hart's been in my pocket for <laughs> yeah. two years. Yeah. So like for me, it's like. Chris Paul. Like, <laughs> I can get Chris Paul on tomorrow. Save it. Save it. Save <laughs> but it I'm going to save it. You know. So it's it. It is hard. I think we were talking earlier. Um, the fun part is recording it. A hundred percent. The fun part is like is actually creating and producing the episode. The the hard part is the build up, booking a guest, and and kind of all that goes into that. So I do appreciate you you coming on the show. You mentioned that you listen to podcasts. If you live in Los Angeles, you have to be a podcast listener because of the traffic. Oh my god! Basically, yeah. Um, I just got into to Malcolm Gladwell. He he just yeah. started a podcast, Revisionist History, which is fantastic. I've listened to uh, two of his episodes already. I think there's only been four. I think. But um, what are some of your favorite podcasts? 
I listened to Simmons. Simmons was uh, very much like I've been in on Simmons from day one, you know. So I, it's weird now. I have like this whole history. He doesn't know this, but I have this whole history of listening to his show. He's been like a part of my life. I love Bill Burr, uh, both on mic as a comedian and then in his podcast is great. Yours, obviously, uh, I listen to Woj. Like, I that's the thing. Like, it's crazy what happens in the summertime with podcasts. Like, a podcast like mine does really well in the summer because it's the dog days of summer. There's only baseball. <laughs> the minute yeah. the seasons come back and football kicks off and then yeah. basketball, we don't plummet, but the numbers certainly do dip to a different level than when it's in the summer. It's crazy. It's just like movies. It's just like TV. There is a seasonal... Thing that happens with podcasts, particularly like more like comedy, personal journal ones. There is so much good content out there right now that as a consumer, you do have to make some choices because there's only so many hours during the day. Yeah. And we see this with television. There's so many good television shows. There's so many shows that I'm like, I have to watch these shows. I have to binge these shows. And it's hard to find the time. When NFL season starts... When NBA season starts, it makes it even harder. And I think the biggest problem with podcasts right now, there's too many good ones. Yeah, they're really there's a they're really <laughs> there's too good. many good ones. But again, I it's it's the fact that it has had this transition where it's no longer like, oh, you do a podcast, couldn't you have gotten another job? Like that was my fear <laughs> when I first started two years ago. People were gonna look at it like, oh, this dude can't act anymore so he's doing a podcast now that got kind of defeated right away because there's so many interesting smart talented people doing it and then again like i said like we have a a current nba player doing it it's now okay it's been branded okay to do one you mentioned that you listen to woge's podcast i do we appreciate that go vertical and you listen to mine which i of course appreciate a great deal on your most recent episode, you talked about your experience at the USA Basketball Fantasy Camp. Like, you're a legitimate hooper. We just shot around, by the way. We're at the Clippers practice facility right now. Uh, Jerry and I just shot around. He has legit three-point range. <laughs> it took him eight tries to make it, but it's legit range. Um, but so so you, go, you went to this fantasy camp. It was your second year doing it. It's a camp that's coached by... Big time, like college and and pro coaches. I know Calipari was your coach your first year. Yeah, just talk about that experience. First of all, why do you put yourself through it, and 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 how has that been in terms of realizing how difficult the game is for a professional athlete? I'm going to clear my throat because I'm going to go for a minute on this topic. Please, <clears throat> first and foremost, I firmly believe that there is a lot of actors. Most actors want to be athletes. And I also firmly believe, I won't say most, but a lot of athletes want to be actors. I think there's a common respect that like, I marvel at what you do. I'm not going to say you marvel at what I do, but I'm sure there's an actor that you marvel at. (laughs) So right then and there, I want to put it out there to your audience. I love basketball. It's the sport I played the most. Ironically, I'm also five foot six, so it does not (laughs) lend itself well to my build. But I, I'm just a junkie. I and yeah. I grew up watching like the first game I ever watched was like the famous Trent Tucker game when he hit the three pointer to beat the Bulls before they were the yeah. Bulls. So I've just been addicted ever since. This fantasy basketball camp thing is a thing I've heard about. I know they do a great one at Duke, they do one at Kentucky, they do great ones all over. But this particular one is is easy enough for me because it's in Vegas, so it's a hop, skip, and a jump away. And you do get cool access to 
to the USA team. They're very generous with their time, particularly when it was a non-Olympic year, like last year. Mm-hmm. Like They were wa- roaming around the casino. You can go play blackjack and, and interact with some of them. Last year, Calipari, we had one of those teams that was like the team to beat. And I was I, I was a point guard. We had former collegiate players who are now in their 40s, so a lot has changed. And uh, we went 3-0 in the regular season. Then it becomes tournament play, bounced out in the first round. Here's where I've changed my mentality on what you do for a living. I said to myself, this year going back for the second year, I almost want to be on a lesser team because I want more shots. I want more looks. I want to. Tr- I want to be the guy. Yeah. Well, be careful what you wish for. Because <laughs> I got drafted by Coach Ed Cooley of Providence. Great guy, great coach. And credit to all these coaches, Tom Izzo, Jeff Van Gundy. Like They treat us as if we were you. And we are clearly <laughs> not even v- remotely recognizable. Our team, we had a six foot eight guy, so that was promising. We had a dude named Zeus who was jacked. I think he played football. His name was Zeus? Zeus, that is correct. And he is... God-given, or like, yes. birth name. And he yeah. is a... He's a animal he's like 6'3 250 he's averaging 19 rebounds a game but i started to realize i was the main ball handler i was the only person on the team to hit a three the entire camp and i was averaging around 17 points a game we lost all four games and tom Izzo and his team who won the championship ran the score up on us so bad in game one they beat us by 42 points i still am not over that so now I want to go back and I'd much rather be on a balanced team that's about winning. <laughs> I don't want 20 shots a game. It, and the things that it did to my body, and that's where you and I were even texting a little bit. Like I obviously respect the amount of work you have to put into becoming great at what you do, but then also the maintenance. I don't think it gets said enough. I don't think as a fan we realize enough the toll on your body mixed with the travel. I had a 45-minute flight and I was folded up like an accordion. <laughs> So I'm still icing stuff at 36 years old. I still, and I play in a pickup game three times a week. I'm in fantasy basketball camp shape. I am in it. I'm destroyed. My body's destroyed. You're not ready for an 82 game season. (laughs) Again, I, I had to text it to you like a whole new respect for what you have to do to keep your body right. And for those guys who play, you know, even 70 to 82 games a year. That's an accomplishment in itself. Yeah. So you know, to you. you know, from listening to this podcast that I'm, I'm very pro player. I'm very pro yes. athlete. You know, I, I, I appreciate what an athlete has to go through to perform at a high level. And, and you're correct. I think that people watch the game but they don't understand the process that it takes for an athlete to get to the but come game. to ex- be expected. Right, right. You know? and, and listen, it is our job and, and we're paid well to do it and all that. But listen, it's literally and I mean this literally, it is a daily commitment, especially when you're I'm 32. It's a daily commitment to be able to play at this level for sure. Who would you compare your game to? Ironically, <laughs> ironically enough, you know this guy well. And I've been compared to, in my circle of athletes, to Chris Paul. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Just a, just a bulldog on the court, <laughs> team leader, playmaker, can get his own shot, but would much rather set up his guys, probably gets happier with a good assist more so than a good bucket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say my game most <laughs> best loans itself to, uh, to CP3. Yeah. You and just, I love his game. You just compared yourself... <laughs> 
to one of the greatest point guards of all time. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I mean, I could go more obscure if that's what you're looking for. Uh, but no, in all in all seriousness, um, that's the game I most wish I could have, even in a pickup reference, not obviously on a pro level, because I, I love watching him play. This is the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. Jerry, give me a minute to tell my listeners about SeatGeek. As a lot of you may know, buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to to look for tickets to a game or concert. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I just used it the other day to look for tickets to see Coldplay at the end of the month. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work, and you save time and money. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. And now a word from Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash JJ. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Earlier you said all, well, not all actors, but actors want to be athletes. Athletes want to be actors. I do think there's a, there's a degree of that for sure in, in my profession. I'm sure you get this said to you fairly often, and it's certainly said to me, but people will say to me, you have the best job in the world. And sometimes I think to myself, I really do have the best job in the world. And then other times I think, ah, Tom Hardy, Tom Hardy has the best job in the world. Who has the best job in the world? An actor or a basketball player? I'm going to give you why I think maybe it's not a basketball player. Just number one, you, you mentioned it, the physical nature of the sport. And then two, we have pressure on a nightly basis. And certainly an actor, when you, a movie comes out or a show comes mm-hmm. out, you know, there's that pressure, let's say opening weekend or, you know, that's a beast for sure. Or what are the show's ratings? So there's, there's, there's inherent pressure in both professions. Which do you think is easier? That honestly, that we could spend an entire episode on that question. Cause there's a lot of layers to it. See, like I look at the, the pressure in sport. And again, from the fan perspective, it, it, to me, that's the best entertainment. That's the best theater there is. 
So you can take whatever great movie or great TV show that you think is great theater. I think game seven of the finals or any round of a playoff or that those Christmas Day games that are big, that, that makes for great theater. So I love that pressure. So I would say that's a good part of the job. I would want that mm. part of the job. Here's the thing that I always come back to with acting. The guy or girl who works hard, breaks his or her ass, and gets better and is at the maybe their peak of abilities does not always get rewarded. And I'm sure that happens in, in basketball and in all sports as well. But I just think there's there's so many other factors. And I know there is in basketball too. There's politics of the game. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Just from my side though, I can't wake up tomorrow and be like, I feel like acting tomorrow. <laughs> so I'm going to go do I have to wait for someone to tell me it's mm, okay. It's a great I'm point. approved. That's a great And point. I go do it. Whereas you could still wake up and go play and practice and perfect whatever it is your sport or what you do in your sport is. Again, doesn't mean you're going to get rewarded the way you think you should be, but you could still get some sort of resemblance of a reward, and you get to do it if you love it. Yeah, I think that's the most <clears throat> important thing. Of course, is having no matter what sort of your situation is uh, as an athlete. Let's say you're the you're the main guy. You're the guy getting 17 shots a game or you're the 15th guy. Like maintaining that perspective, I think, of sort of how lucky and blessed you are. I think that's important. Here's the flip side to it, though. Why I would say maybe actors have it better, though. I most likely, if I'm smart and if I play my cards right, I could probably act forever. Maybe not on the highest level. That's a great point. Maybe not on the highest level. Maybe I'm not on HBO or Stars. You know, maybe I'm somewhere else. But I, I could potentially be doing it when I'm 60. Yeah. You know, and obviously for players, there's a lot of great things to be done after basketball if you want to remain in basketball. But it's still not basketball. It's still not playing the game. You know, there's no other profession really than professional athletes where they tell you at some point around 30 or 32. Hey, you got to find something else to do. Honestly, I don't know how. I could only imagine, and I, I do find myself thinking. I read a lot about this kind of stuff. That's why I read a lot of books that athletes or even fighters write. Like how, like how you handle when it's over, right? Because I could tell you, I guess, trying to make it relevant. Like when Entourage, the TV show, ended, and we didn't sure. know if there was going to be a movie. I took it hard, not because it's like, oh, I wonder if I'm ever going to work again or month. Like, I was good. I was already transitioning to other stuff. But that part of my life, there's just a huge hole, a huge yeah. void that you don't yeah. know it's ever going to be filled again. Yeah. Luckily, it has been with other things. And the cool part is now I do get to, I, I've enjoyed Entourage the show way more since it's over looking back than when I actually enjoyed it in the moment. Because of the pressure, because I was always afraid it was going to get taken away from me, I never allowed myself to say, oh, no, we're good. This thing's a hit. We're on the air for eight years. Yeah. I worried up until like season seven. <laughs> so I've enjoyed it way more now looking back. But, yeah. you know, I miss it. There's, there's yeah. a void there that I, I don't know if we'll ever get filled in that way. It's really interesting you bring that up. Some of the former athletes, the guys I know that I thought were most prepared for life after basketball are having the hardest time with life after basketball. And the biggest reason they have nothing that fills that, that void, that competitive void. There's really nothing that can fill it. 
I mean, there's certainly business and you could get into different things, but I've talked to guys that I know that tried to get into media, let's say, and become an analyst. And it's just like, what, what is the competition? It doesn't do it for them. It doesn't do it for them. They, they can't fill that void. This is a personal question. Please. But when you look at people in your profession, people who, who share the same craft as you, mm-hmm. are there any actors, I don't want to use the word envious or, or jealous, but any any actors that you're like truly envious of for the career that they've had? Envious in the way like I want that for myself or is it more just like Marvel at? Yeah, more I guess more Marvel. Right, like I, and we mentioned him earlier. Like I look at a guy like Kevin Hart. Mm, that's a, yeah. And the reason why I mentioned him too is like that guy does not have to really work that hard right now if he didn't want to. Like he's got a million offers under the sun. He could literally pick and choose what he wants to do. He has his pick of the litter right now, basically. Every movie right now almost that's in the comedic world there's rumors oh we might get kevin hart for it or kevin hart's attached like that's the guy they mentioned to help get their movie made but he doesn't relax on that like if you follow that dude on instagram or twitter or anything i i always said because i've worked with him twice like dude i think there's two of you i think you have a twin brother because like he's in philly one day doing a comedic concert and the next day he's on the set with the rock and the next day he's hosting the kids choice awards it's like he's like the most driven dude I've ever seen. So I marvel at that because I don't have that. As much as I want to be successful, I am m- way too lazy about well, about it. I don't know that you're lazy. I, I don't Compared think, to him, I am. There's certain people that you, you have to sit back and admire the grind. Mm-hmm. Like Kevin Hart has embraced the grind maybe more so than anyone else in Hollywood right now. 100%. But I guess the guys I'm envious of are the older guys. I mean, when I say older, I'm not that much older. Guys who are anywhere from like 55 to 70 who are still doing it because that's the one thing I did, not the one thing, but the thing I think I got most overlooked about Entourage, like yes, obviously it was a comedy, it was light, it was about the lifestyle and the craziness, but also it was an inside look to what it takes to try to maintain a career. Mm-hmm. For We see it all the time. How many people were hot for two, three years and now they're gone and maybe never coming back. So the maintenance of the career, that's why I respect the guys who just constantly grind it out and you know, who are still doing it at 55, 60 years old at a high level only because it's just really hard to do. It amazes me every time I see Robert De Niro oh my God. in a new movie. Oh my God. What, like, what is that guy doing? And mind <laughs> you, I, I did a movie with him. Yeah. I worked with yeah, him yeah. and other, it was Robert De Niro, Michael Douglas, Morgan Freeman, Kevin Klein, and me. So what doesn't belong in that equation <laughs> is an easy answer, but all Oscar nominated or winning actors. And you know what stuck out the most? They loved being on set. They actually were about the work. All the other BS wasn't really welcome. And like they set an example. It was just unbelievable to watch. I would have thought for sure, oh, De Niro's not coming out of his trailer for at least an hour. When they give you that knock, they're like, hey, we're ready for you. I usually count to 10 and I start getting dressed to go. First time out, I'm like, let me see. I waited like 10 minutes. De Niro's already on set. Morgan, I watched Morgan Freeman work with 102 fever. <laughs> they were going to shut the day down. They were like, let's just shut uh, down. He's like, no, I'll give you what I, I mean, want. This is a guy that's been in literally every movie since 1980. <laughs> every movie. And he plays roles like God yeah. and president. Yeah. and It's really interesting to me because the older I get, 
the more I realize that people that are truly great at what they do, it's never about the money. They're not motivated by money. At some point, you may be motivated by money, but that will eventually fade. The people that are truly great enjoy doing it. You, you mentioned all those guys love being on set. The great athletes that are playing when they're 38, they're not playing because they need an extra $2 million. Right. They're playing because they love the game. I had a conversation with a few years ago with Steve Nash, and that was the biggest takeaway. That guy just loved playing basketball. And it shows. And I get asked this question by younger people who either are actors or want to be actors. And, um, and one time I actually, I don't, I pride myself on keeping control of my emotions and my temper. I don't really have a big temper, but I was literally in the midst of shooting this independent movie that cost like literally two cents. <laughs> like there's a joke in an entourage when Vince wanted to do an indie and it's like, you're not gonna have a trailer. You have to sit in an Apple box. You ever try and blank with an extra on an Apple box? That's yeah. what was going on. Like there was nowhere for me to even sit. We didn't, yeah. we couldn't afford chairs. So <laughs> working 18, 19 hours a day, some days we didn't even have locations. Like you show up to work, like, oh no, we have to shoot this uh, on in the middle of the street because we don't have a diner. That kind of stuff. And I was coming back to the hotel that I was paying for out of my own pocket, which doesn't ha happen often. And the dude working the door there, it was like 6 o'clock in the morning. I was just getting home. And he asks me, hey, can I ask you a question about acting? I'm like, sure, man. What do you got for me? He's like, what's the easiest way to get into it? And I literally looked at him <laughs> with, the, with the most disgusted look. I was like, look at my effing face. Does it look like there's an easy way? And he was like, whoa, all right. And I walked away. And I later went down and apologized yeah. to him. And I said to him, here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're just trying to get into it, you know what? Take a class. Do a student film. Do something where you actually do it. See if you love it. And then, then you right. can go. Because if you don't love it, if you're getting into it because you want to be famous or you want to just make money, it's not going to work. It could work for a you know the whole 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, that yeah. can happen. But if you're looking for a career of torture at times if you don't love it don't do it like i would do this job if it paid whatever sal a low a much lower salary uh, just if it was enough for me to feed my family and and have a roof over my head this is what i still would be doing and i feel the same way about you yeah i feel like you'd be playing ball if as long as you could support your family in yeah. a sort of comfortable way you'd still be doing something in basketball when you first started acting and when you first thought of going into acting what was the motivation it doesn't sound like it was fame. No. Or maybe it was when you were younger. I don't know. No, it really wasn't. And it wasn't obviously a common thing to do in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. <laughs> it wasn't a common occupation to take yeah. up. Um, it really came from a, a love of movies and television on a much, much deeper level than just like, oh, this is my favorite show. Like I analyzed everything and would get like get captivated by performances. And it happened to me at a very young age. Like my grandfather, Jerry, the guy I'm named after – he was a pretty tough Brooklyn guy and, and was unemotional, like never really laughed, never really, we knew he loved us, sort of, but he, he, his motto was children should be seen and not heard. You know, we have to sit at the Sunday dinner table and like not really speak unless spoken to. But they used to be the Sunday matinee on regular TV. This is how you watched movies that you didn't see in theaters. And I would sit and watch the double matinee with him on Sundays and this guy would laugh would not cry but like throw stuff at the tea and it would invoke an emotion out of him yeah. that i never saw in yeah. regular life so at a very young age i was like huh if movies and tv could get that reaction out of my grandpa who i just i want that reaction maybe that's something i need to be doing and and 
I could have easily been an editor and been just as happy. I wanted to do something in movies and TV, sure. and I sort of fell into acting in a way. It's an incredible backstory. It's a long one. No, it's, it's a long great. story. <laughs> Let's talk about some hoops. Yes. Um, you are a Knicks super fan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if there's any of us left, yes. Uh, that's a great segue into my first question. Are the Knicks a tortured franchise? Yes, for sure. You're 36. 36. So the Knicks have not won a world championship in your lifetime. Nope. I believe the last one was 70 to 72, yeah. 73 season. Yeah. Um, I have not won one in my lifetime. Two finals appearances in my lifetime, both ending in sort of traumatic losses. One mainly being a traumatic loss. And yeah, my formative years, though, the Knicks were great. It was the 90s. It was Pat Riley, Patrick Ewing, John Starks. Like there was an identity there even if it wasn't a championship identity there was an identity of you might beat us but we're taking something with us mm -hmm. and i loved because you know i was playing in the schoolyard so i loved that identity it was proud to be a knicks fan and then it's a very new york mentality 100 percent. yeah and that team was so beloved because it fit the culture of the fanhood in a way and to see something fall so fast and to see what it then became where we became a franchise that would like what I wouldn't do to be the eighth seed in the playoff. <laughs> like I, I and if you tell me right now the Knicks are gonna be an eighth seed and they're gonna play whatever first round team, probably the Cavs. Cavs. <laughs> tough. Probably not gonna win, but they'll play them tough. I'm in for that. Yeah. Tell me where to sign. That's how beaten down I am. Like I would take a first round eighth seed exit compared to what it's been right now. And you go back to the John Starks Game 7 situation. You go back to the Reggie Miller nine points in whatever seconds. You go back to the Patrick Ewing missed finger roll. Yeah. The lockout shortened season. The Larry Johnson four-point play only to get decimated by the Spurs. And then the history of sort of getting players when they're really kind of on the downside of their yeah. career. Marbury, who wasn't really on the downside, but that didn't work. Penny Hardaway, Tracy McGrady. To where we are now, like as and I love Mello, but giving away every asset we have when we maybe could have waited three months and signed Mello, and then being sold Stat and Mello, Amari and Mello, and it never really got there. It it hurts. It hurts. There is hope for Knicks fans. <laughs> it, 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 depending on who you ask, depending on who you ask, was this a good summer for the Knicks? In my opinion, it's a fantastic okay. summer based off of what I just said. How many? I don't even honestly. I don't even know. Would we win twenty-two games with no first-round draft pick? That's not a great season. So that's our bar right now. Do I think we're going to surpass that? Yes. Do I think we're going to the finals? <laughs> no. Do I think we're going to the second round? May slight possibility, but that to me is hope. We have a young player now who invokes hope. Yeah. The Derrick Rose thing, wherever you think he is in his career, is still a free swing. So you don't buy into Derrick Rose's comments that the Knicks are a super team along the lines of the Golden State Warriors. He caught some flack for that. The, <laughs> the, the internet's response in true basketball Twitter form was... Maybe in 2011, this would be a Knicks super team. And that's what makes me scratch my head, JJ. And that's what makes me say, why would you say that? Who is telling you that? Do you really believe that? I love the confidence. I love the the false. As an athlete, we got to have it. You got to have, have it. it. Yeah. Like, you got to forget about the last shot you missed so you could take the next one. But I, 
that's what leaves me scratch. As much as I and I not that Derrick Rose needs me to defend him, but I early in that. Not that anyone cares what I have to say, but I said it's a great move. It's a great basketball move. I stand by that. Again, because no offense to Jose Calderon, that was our starting point guard. Derek Rose, wherever you think in his career, is an upgrade at that position in my opinion. And if it doesn't work, it's a one-year deal. But then when that guy goes and says you're, we're, people are really only talking about us and the Warriors, it makes me say, who are you referring to? <laughs> Stop talking to them. I don't agree with Derrick Rose either, and and this I'm not bashing what I am. I guess a little bit bashing. You what can. He it's said. okay. No, I'm, I'm maybe the perspective I think is a little off. If they are healthy, it's a good starting five. I like the Courtney Lee addition. I played yes. with him in Orlando. Yes, he's a great guy. He's a great sort of fifth starter. He's a great fifth starter. He does all the dirty work. Can shoot threes. He provides spacing for the team. I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't say this out loud publicly. I just I don't know if the triangle really is modern NBA basketball. The game has evolved, and and the triangle had a great sort of twenty year run, yeah, all the way up until two thousand ten with the Lakers' last championship. But I don't know that it fits in today's NBA. I don't know that it fits. And my my second point to that <clears throat> is, if you're going to run the triangle or elements of the triangle in a point guard league that's based on spacing and pick and rolls, I, I don't know that it's the best sort of option. And actually, I, I wish now in hindsight, we, you and I were just shooting around. I wish I would have taken some of that 10 minutes instead of airballing from the three-point line and literally been like, JJ, actually tell me, because I still, and again, I'm sort of a super fan. I, I sort of understand what the triangle is and how it's supposed to keep everyone involved mm-hmm. and it's supposed to... I guess focus on one side of the core and and keep every player engaged but I really would love a lesson <laughs> in the triangle because also I in that height that it worked it didn't really invoke three point shooting which yeah. obviously if you want to succeed in the NBA you even if you're missing them you have to take them almost I feel like it's, you're not going to win if you're missing them but at least and again I I don't know what I'm talking about so if you're no 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 full what you absolutely should judge me because I'm the Houston Rockets have experimented with this and they've had success they they made the western conference finals 2 years ago they didn't have great shooting right but they took three layups and free throws how you create those opportunities is a whole other is is, is yeah but there's an argument that you know you need sort of spacing and a four out kind of one in mm-hmm. Uh, which a lot of teams have gone to. I've played on a lot of teams that do that. We did it in Orlando. We do it to an extent here in, in L.A. The triangle, I think the the easiest way uh, to describe the triangle yes, please. is that it's a series of actions. I don't want to sound stupid, but they're pretty predictable. They're fairly predictable. Right. And then based on how the defense plays, there's a series of counteractions. And in theory the counteractions will sort of keep the defense honest from overplaying the initial action. And I'm so look, I grew up in the nineties watching those bulls teams and you would think I would even know what the triangle looks like. All I know is it looked like a lot of Jordan post-ups, <laughs> a lot of like Scotty Pippen of finger Jordan. rolls. <laughs> yeah. You know, I watched a lot of those Lakers. I'm the, this is not a crap on the triangle situation, but I agree with you and you're, you're the professional. Like, I don't know if players are sitting up the night before thinking, how are we going to defend this, this Knicks triangle? <laughs> like, let's go over the blue. Let's draw it up, coach, on the board. How are we going to defend this? So much of the triangle <clears throat> is, well, not, I don't want to say so much because it, it, it belittles the complexity of it, but a lot of the triangle is based upon having a really good post up player. Right. 
And for the Bulls, it was Jordan. For the Lakers, it was Kobe or Shaq. Either or, interchangeable. Um, and in today's NBA, there's just not as many post-ups. And, and the league, for the most part, has sort of, with advanced stats, has sort of figured out that that posting up is not the most efficient way to run an offense. So that's my argument against it. And and I'm listen, I'm not saying that the triangle is trash because Phil Jackson's got a handful of rings. Yes, two so, handfuls. And I have the utmost respect for anyone who's who's won at that level. So I do respect the triangle. I'm I guess I'm I'm trying to figure out and it's funny talking to a Knicks fan now, but <laughs> it, I'm trying to figure out where it fits in today's NBA. The good news is they bring in Jeff Hornacek this year. Yes. And he's he's sort of said that he's going to run elements of the triangle. I saw a TMZ video a couple months ago. They had you coming out of somewhere. Oh, and it seemed like you – it was like a tepid endorsement of the Jeff Hornacek hire. Listen, TMZ, they're <laughs> smart, all right? And I think their only interest in me is let's see if Ferrara will ever say anything stupid. Other than that, no one cares about me walking out of some Beverly Hills restaurant. And the dudes at TMZ know I, I don't say anything because I know they're looking for me to say something stupid. They know yeah. we ask him a Knicks question, yeah. he has to say something. Yeah. Yeah. And I made that noise like, what about Hornacek? I'm like, eh. <laughs> yeah. because, and I have a whole theory and I'll say it here. Like I, I, I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be an upgrade. No offense to Fisher or Rambis. I think he's going to be an upgrade. I think he was a coach of the year, and I don't know what was going on in Phoenix. All I know is they had three point guards at one time. I don't know how that works. Something happened with the Morris twins where they pissed them off. So <laughs> I don't, and I think Hornacek had to fall on the sword a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think he's a good coach. And that to me was always, people always asked me, who would you like to see the Knicks sign? I know no one really is going to sign there unless there's a coaching cultural change. I wanted the Knicks to sign Thibodeau. That was my big free agent get. I say go get yeah. him because that dude, I think, wants to win and will change the culture, and that's what needs to happen. So I don't think it's necessary. Look, would I love Kevin Durant? Sure. Who wouldn't? Would I, would I love DeAndre Jordan? Sure. Who wouldn't? But those guys ain't coming. Not under the circumstances now, in my opinion. Again, this is fan talk. This isn't <laughs> real talk. I <laughs> I will back it up with evidence and confirm what you're saying. And I I think players are smarter now. And the old shtick with the Knicks and even the Lakers was it's a big market and we can go out and sign whoever we want. And you've seen post lockout that the and two with social media markets really don't matter. Is Kevin Durant really going to have more followers on Twitter in New York versus OKC? Probably we're not. talking about, okay, maybe a million, give or take. It doesn't matter to his account. Right. And you've seen free agents now over the last few summers pick smaller markets, like directly against Greg Monroe's a great example. That's the ultimate example. Had, had a max offer from the Lakers, had a max offer from the Knicks, and goes to Milwaukee. That's the biggest possible. So offer. what you're saying, I think, is true. And this is not me, certainly finger pointing, and I'm not. I'm not just saying the Knicks, but. I think what NBA players are, are figuring out is that it's not about the market. It's it's maybe not even about the money. It's really about what is the culture and what do, what culture do I want to go to and work in every day of the week? I, I always try to relate it to what I do to try and give it some semblance. It's like 
when I started working on this show, Power on Stars, like Stars Network was starting to do original programming. They weren't HBO. They weren't Showtime. You know, they were just starting out. And they had this show idea. I met with the showrunner, who's sort of the coach. She's amazing, brilliant, and for some reason wants me. The the CEO of Stars or president or whatever, Chris Albrecht, used to run HBO. So in a way, that's like the owner. That guy is the reason why cable television exists. Okay, then you start looking at the cast. It's 50 Cent is one of the players. Omari Hardwick, great actor. It's like, okay. So this is a small show on a upstart, small-ish network, right? And now the show is like breaking Sunday night summer records and is one of the biggest dramas on TV. So it doesn't matter. There's all the networks now are equal. And I think this is the same thing in sport. All the franchises for the most part, unless you just don't want to really go to a particular city because you don't want to go to the city. I agree with you 100%. I don't really think the lore of New York or LA, unless you truly want to live there is as enticing as like, I'm going to go play for J-Kid in Milwaukee and get paid really well and play with the Greek freak. I would say all the teams and and markets kind of are on equal footing, and I have to throw in my anti-tanking rant a little bit and get a jab in. Come on, do it. Unless you are a team that is actively trying to lose, in which case, F off. Yeah, that... (laughs) I'm with you on that, my man. Which those have existed over the last few years. Last basketball question. You've, I assume you've been to a lot of arenas. I know you've been to Staples Center a bunch oh, yeah. uh, for Clippers and, and Lakers games. But if you ask any any NBA player, what is your favorite arena to play in? I would say nine out of ten guys would say the Garden. And that this is a, and, and what's interesting about that, you said it. The last time they won a championship was in the early 1970s. None of us were even alive then. Nope. What is it about the Garden? Well, there is a history there that's not just basketball related, you know, from boxing to hockey to music event. There's just a history at the Garden that I don't think you really have in other arenas anymore. And for some reason, and this is maybe like a little of the secret sauce that no one could put their finger on, but... (laughs) Big time players, for some reason, have always chose that moment to shine. You can go back to Jordan, you Kobe did. You can go even way, way Steph back. Steph Curry a few years ago. Steph Curry, yeah. I remember that, and yeah. I think the Knicks actually won that game. But Steph Curry, I think hit. I think at fifty four. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. So for some reason, that's maybe the secret sauce. That stage, and also it is a lighting thing. I do believe in that. One hundred percent. It just makes you. Feel like there's something going on, and then you know their press row. Obviously, Staples rivals it too with Jack and and yeah. all that. But like their sort of celebrity row and the way the press covers it there, there's just something magical about the garden. Then you leave the garden, you're in the middle of Times Square almost. I I think it just has that big feeling. But I think maybe I don't know. Athletes probably feel like. You could feel the ghosts a little bit, which is what I loved about the old Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. And now that it's gone, it's like hard to fully feel that. But um, I think so much of the garden for me is just the overall buzz of New York City. Yeah. And for me, I feel most alive when I'm in a big city. There's something about the energy, specifically with New York. And so you fly in, maybe you get there the day before, you go out to dinner the night before, you go to shoot around, you're traveling through midtown Manhattan, 
there's just an energy. You feel that energy all day long. And there's like a buildup going to the game. In terms of the fandom of New York Knicks fans, like I wouldn't say the atmosphere is better than where the Celtics play, right? You know, TD Bank or even OKC right. or like Portland. Like, there's some of these smaller markets, like the team and the community. It's all like one fabric, and it's not that way in New York. But there's a buzz and there's an energy in the Garden. It, maybe it is the secret sauce, but it's it, there's just something in there and. I think there's no greater building for the enemy. <laughs> you can go back to Reggie Miller. Yeah. You like, and maybe that is also the New York vibe of the fandom. Like when the Knicks are good, beating the Knicks mm-hmm. when they're relevant and good has got to be a great feeling in the sense of beating those fans who are brutal. I, I think that's got to be some of it too, the the fandom and when the Knicks are because I'm sure it's got to be a different feeling. You don't have to answer this, but like going to play the Knicks when they're winning 18 games, I'm sure some of the Garden Magic is <laughs> it's still there, but it's lost a little bit of the luster. I get yeah. it, but when the Knicks are relevant, like three four years ago, they were a three seed and. Yeah. Steve Novak was hitting corner threes, and they were actually a real team. I think they won like fifty-four games. Yeah, that like year, yeah. It, it, it was there. And then like the Linsanity thing, like that's another example. I know he was just on your like that stretch in time. I went to a few of those games. It was like nothing I've ever seen before. And that building, just something happens to that building when the Knicks are relevant, and even the Rangers to that degree. Like that Stanley Cup season in in ninety four was just. That place was gonna was good. The roof was gonna come off. So, I want it back. <laughs> I want it back so bad. I listen. I I feel a little like I just spent ten or fifteen minutes bashing the Knicks. I have nothing no, against dude. the Knicks, dude. I really i I am such a basketball fan. I enjoy talking about this. If you're a Knicks fan who listens to the podcast, if you're a media member who's gonna quote me about what I said about the Knicks, I don't really care because I think. The Knicks being good is good for basketball. It's good for the NBA. It's good for New York. And I hope that the Knicks are good. And I think we, we mentioned the word a couple times, but I think there is hope now. I do. I agree. And they, with Kristaps specifically, I think the direction is going in the right way. That's my guy. I have so, like, oh, I heard by the way, dude. That is that my. He is, he is like he said that you are his Hollywood. Idol. The bromance is real, <laughs> and and I haven't really ever had a bromance before. Yeah, and I always jo- I always like thought the the term man crush was like the stupidest term in the world. It's just another word for respect. No, no, it's different. Man crush and just respect for an athlete is different. Like, JJ, I'll be honest with you. I respect you. We don't have a man crush right. bromance, though. It's yeah. just respect to dudes who enjoy talking. Chris Stapps, yeah. I have a man crush on. Yeah. I love him. I love him. <laughs> He's the unicorn. He's my guy. And then never in my life, I was in New York shooting power, and out of nowhere, my phone just starts blowing up with my friends from back in Brooklyn, my friends in LA, let all sorts of people like, you got to hear what poor Zingas just said about you on like the Michael K show. He did a day of press and that question always comes up, I guess, for every young Nick, like who would you love to look at and see in Celebrity Row? Yeah. Who would be the one guy or girl you'd want to see? <laughs> and this dude said... Oh man, if I if I had to pick just one, it would have to be Jerry Ferrara for Montreal. <laughs> even I was like, really? Why? And I think it's a combination. We've even talked, and then within 
24 hours, the Garden had me at the Knicks game, meeting him, yeah. hugging, embracing. And he calls me sir, which is awesome. He calls me sir, which makes me feel old. The Knicks celebrity program is awesome, I've heard. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's great, right? They Dude, take care of you guys. They take care of us. And, and they know I am a phone call away. Yeah. You need me to act, direct, tap, dance, do yeah. whatever. The one thing I will sell my soul for is good sports. You know, I saw Doc in Vegas. He was, I guess, watching, and, and he had said, he's like, we got to get you out to a game. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get your email. And I'm like, all right, all right. So I'm waiting, Doc. I don't know if you're listening, right. but uh, I want to be at some Clippers games. <laughs> I'll get Doc on it. <laughs> we need to, t- I have you here. We need to talk about Entourage. Let's do it. Uh, it was such a great show. Uh, I, I know you know these stats, but for the listeners, it was nominated for 26 Emmys and 14 Golden Globes in eight seasons. A full-length movie was made a couple years after the last season. And for people my age, specifically men, that was my show. Every Sunday night, those 30 minutes. Although sometimes you guys cut it down to like 22 right, minutes and I was right. pissed well, off. Well, usually something got cut. <laughs> yeah. That means usually something yeah. didn't, someone but didn't no, deliver. It's, uh, I mean, it was just an incredible show to watch. What was it like when you were in the middle of it, sort of – You've now had the success after a few seasons. You know it's a big deal. Did you expect that? No. Again, I think we said this off the air. Or maybe we said it on the air. Like I, I sort of always operated from a place of fear that it would get taken away from me. Um, and the process of a TV show becoming a real TV show, like obviously as an actor, you go through the casting process. Then you shoot a pilot. Then you wait six months to see if the pilot gets picked up. Like I was almost about ready to get my job back in the restaurant while waiting to see if the show got picked up. And I'll never forget, I was in a parking lot of a 7-Eleven. I don't remember what I bought, but I got into my car. My phone rang. It was a private number. And I answered it. And I was like, hello? And he's like, yo, Jerry, it's, it's Wahlberg. I'm like, hey, Mark, what's up? He's like, we got picked up. We start shooting in two weeks. All right, get ready. Click. I was like, what? was that real? Was that <laughs> so, you know, getting picked up? There's like this excitement of, okay, I actually have a real job now. Like I'm getting to do that. I'm, I'm allowed to do this every day. Not a lot of people watched in season one. Like we had some cool critical write-ups, but yeah. getting cameos, every cameo you see in like season one and two was literally a personal favor from either Mark or Lev or Doug Allen or someone begging like, please come on the show. Because I think a lot of actors and even athletes to a degree were like, you want me to play myself? Are you making fun of me? Is the, but it was never about that. The joke wasn't on you. The joke was with you, if there was one. So something happened after season two, man. And I kind of re- looked to this moment. We did a Vegas episode with Seth Green, famous fight scene. And at this point, the show's starting to gain steam. We had like a an Emmy and a Golden Globe nomination. Piven was starting to – I think Piven might have even won the first time. And we were shooting this scene by the pool, and I come out with the other guys to get ready to shoot this pool, and there was this whole other side of the pool that wasn't closed off for us. It was just open, and we had 400 people chanting as if we were a sports team. Like, I come walking out, they're like, turtle, 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 screaming. I'm like, what is this? And that's where I said, maybe this is actually a big deal, and um. It sort of happened overnight, but after three years, if that makes any sense, you know, yeah. like we were overnight success, but grinding away for years and years. I still can't believe that people ravenously 
ate it up the way they did. By the end of the show, you had celebrities and athletes begging you to come on the show and make cameos. We have a book of names that we didn't even get to. Yeah. There's people who just, we just wasn't enough time. And then it started to become times where it's like, all right, we got to figure out something to do with Michael Strahan today. He wants to be on the show. And Amari Stoudemire. So it's like, all right, we'll put him on the basketball court. And they were part of the tequila stuff. You know, That's what Doug Ellen did better than anyone was the on-the-fly cameos. Just figuring out like day of what to do with them. Your boy Lev. Steven Levinson, one yes. of the producers of the show. Yes, he's going to love that we're bringing up his name. He's like the Big most secretive Duke fan. Dude. Yes. He, I'm not going to say he promised me, but he gave me some indications that a cameo could happen. Never happened. I'll, I'll, I'll take it up with him. He, what about baller? He's got ballers now. <laughs> I mean, different sport, different but you sport. are a baller. One of the biggest disappointments of, of my life that I did not make a cameo on Entourage. I think Jordan Farmar made a Jordan, there's a scene with- At the club, with Eminem. Eminem. And his entourage was Jordan Farmar and Kevin and Love. Kevin Love. And Jordan Farmar and Kevin, essentially, if that were you, they got to beat up Kevin Dillon <laughs> in a seat. They held him back and punched yeah. him in the ribs. I saw one of the first episodes from season one at some point when I was in college. Uh, I was on the road and the hotel happened to have HBO and I watched this show and I was like, what? I was literally, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> this is awesome. This is, I mean, I was hooked right away. So when I was coming out of Duke, I, I was training for the draft out, out here in L.A. for about three months. And this was back in 2006. And I actually – I met Lev. I met Steven. And um, he invited me on set. So I actually got to come. You came. Well, I wasn't there, was I? Um, no, I met you one time. Yeah. I, yes, yes, yes. There was the episode where you guys met the guy who, who did the shoes – we shot it like over towards downtown. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you were the oh god, yeah. the famous Fukijamas. Yeah, 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 yeah. People sneakers. still ask me about those. Yeah, sneakers. I was I was there that day, and then I, I saw Piven shoot something on Sunset outside a sushi restaurant one time. But I also was invited to the season premiere. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was '06 or '07, but I came to one of the season premieres. It was the season which started when Aquaman came out. Oh, and he was like the big, he was a yeah. big superstar yeah. at this point. At yeah. this point, yeah. And I, so I saw the season premiere, went to the after party or whatever, but that, that, I don't know if it was the first episode or the second episode, but when, when Vinny Chase has his almost famous moment on the top of the, the house, valley episode, the valley episode, that might be my favorite episode. It, it's a lot of people's, and I think what's awesome about it with that particular episode is one of my favorites too, because here you have this giant, he's the biggest, movie star on the planet at that moment with the number one opening movie of all time and he's on the roof of some teenager's house in probably Encino or wherever the hell we were hammered out of his mind like just chilling with these kids and I think that you know we're talking about what makes the garden special like I think what made Entourage so special I have to obviously give the thumbs up to Doug Allen for the yeah. writing and it's just it's all him but the chemistry of us and then also I, I always think it was the relatability of everyone has a turtle or a Johnny drama or a Vinny Chase like who's the Vinny Chase and the only guys have come up to me over the years being like I'm the turtle in my group I'm like I don't know if I should be flattered or insulted <laughs> but um and it was always us against the system like can these underdog guys from Queens defeat the Hollywood system and I think if anything 
I want to say hurt the movie or even like the final season where it just felt different was again a, a victim of your own success like all the guys at this point were successful now yeah. so the stakes weren't as high like if we didn't work out it's like Vince is still worth a hundred million dollars turtles now a millionaire like it's really hard to create that same set of circumstances with guys now who were successful and sort of won. Like we beat the Hollywood system throughout the series. So, but that's what I think was some of that secret magic was like, it was that fish out of water, these underdog New York guys up against the Hollywood system that was just designed to make them all quit and they never quit. So that's a pretty great description of why the show had such great success I said the the Valley episode was my favorite episode. Did you have you have to actually just give me one? You can't give me like two or three. Right, what is your there. favorite episode? Your favorite episode. All right. Can I give two in different categories? Though? I'll give you my favorite, and then I'll give you what I think was the most instrumental episode. Sure, sure. Thank you for that. That was actually my next question. What was the most instrumental episode? My favorite, favorite, favorite episode. I lo- I love the one where we did mushrooms in the desert. <laughs> Because, again, you know, here's a guy who has these crazy career circumstances. He has like an offer to do Benji the movie for $7 million, which most people would never fault him for taking. But he still has this creative artist side to him where he wants to be in this other movie that they won't let him in. So what does he do? He gets his boys and they go to Joshua Tree and take mushrooms to make the biggest decision of his life. And I always love episodes that were outside of Hollywood, like uh, the Sundance episode was a favorite of mine too. But the Joshua Tree episodes is probably up there. The most instrumental one to me, it was the third episode of the series, season one with... uh, where the Jimmy Kimmel episode, I don't know if you remember yeah, that. And Jimmy yeah. Kimmel's show was brand new. That's how old yeah. I am. Yeah. And it was the first moment where I think people watching, and even us as the actors, we realized, oh, this is what makes the show work. Like the Vince character goes on Jimmy Kimmel, but he brings out Johnny Drama and rekindles that friendship of Jimmy Kimmel and Johnny Drama. Like this is where the show lies. And the end of that episode, Kevin Dillon, we're watching the Jimmy Kimmel episode back, and he says, what a great fucking night. And you <laughs> felt like you were in on yeah. this night with us. Yeah. So I think that's the episode that really launched it where it wasn't just a show about cameos and Hollywood. It was a show about friendship. We've now dropped two F-bombs in the last five oh, minutes. Sorry. Uh, but sorry. we're running on like an hour of runtime here. So if you're still listening, you're, you're a dedicated <laughs> listener and hopefully your, your seven or eight-year-old kid uh, uh, is not still listening with us. Sorry I did that, JJ. <laughs> no, it's all good. You dropped one too, I think. I did. I did. Um, all right. Two more little random questions about the show. Yeah. So every, not every season, but in, in most seasons, you guys lived, I'm using quotations here, lived in some sick sort of Hollywood pad. What was your favorite fictional house that you lived in? The one from season one, which then we actually went yeah. back to yeah. much later. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason why we, we had to move there is I think there actually was a, a fire there in between seasons. And they were, and it's like a famous house. It's like annexed into being some sort of landmark in Hollywood. Yeah. It just, Maybe it's sentimental because it was the first, but also like we also had like our own little areas of our house, like in the for our chill time. Like we all had our own little rooms, and when you were up there, a lot of times on set you get a twenty minute break. Every actor runs back to their trailer, puts the AC on, and like takes a nap, makes phone calls, whatever. That house, something about it, we never left. 
We'd have, all right, guys, that's going to be 30 minutes while we move the cameras around. Do you want to go to your trip? We'd all just sit around and like, it's like the show would continue. And that's where all the, a lot of the bonds and the things you saw on screen were formed in that house. The chemistry. A hundred percent. We had a lot of it from moment one, but a lot of it was formed at that house drinking coffees, waiting for the, the lights to be ready. And, um, it's a little sentimental. And also I think cinematically that house. Like the indoor pool, which yeah. we shot in the pilot, like it just yeah. had a lot of charm to it. I could never drive that Hummer down that circular driveway; I'd always crash the Hummer. <laughs> I can't remember if that was one of the houses, but in in a lot of the seasons, you guys are living in houses where you're hitting golf balls outside. Now, at at some point during, I think season three or four, you're living in a house where you have a, an indoor simulator, yes. and you guys use that a lot. Oof. But for the seasons where you're actually hitting golf balls towards other people's houses, where do those golf balls go? They go at the houses, except we're using uh, almost like a wiffle ball type Uh, golf ball. We're not hitting real ones. But I look back, not that I'm a good golfer now, but I've come a long way at my, I think I even had like the golf glove on the wrong hand. And like I just didn't even know the first thing about swinging the golf club. I think about the amount of hours now I've put into it. It's like, oh, that's what's immortalized on film. Like, uh, not that my swing, it, uh, the ball wouldn't go where I want, but at least it looks good. So, uh, yeah, that was always, that was, again, that's Doug Allen's brain. Like, that's what made this, like, relatable. Like, who would, in their right mind, hit golf balls at $20 million houses? Love talking about the show. We're going to hit this week's four on four. Yes. Uh, before we do, I, my last thing about Entourage, you talked about this earlier, but my rookie year, my good friend from college, uh, came down to Orlando and lived with me and, and kind of helped me make the transition to the NBA. And I had gotten a DUI right before the NBA draft. And so my license was suspended for a good deal in my rookie year. And so he would sort of take me places. And uh, my teammates called him Turtle. He was my Turtle. He was the Turtle. <laughs> he was my Turtle. Make him wear his hat backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not nearly as personable as you, though. Good guy, though. All right, we're going to do this week's 4 on 4 because we have Jerry here. It's a natural fit. Jerry's four favorite TV shows of all time. And this could be any genre. Like if Team Umizumi is your favorite show, you don't... You don't that qualifies. <laughs> that qualifies. This is such a great question. I didn't cover it as my top four on my podcast, but I just talk about movies and TV yeah. a lot. I'm going to go from four to one. Four to one. Four to one. Uh, let me just... Hold on. Let me just count them up again. Okay. At number four. Breaking Bad. Great show. I was late to it. I didn't watch it when it was on the air. So I got to binge watch, which is my new favorite thing. Never got to do that, but great, great show. My number... Th- oh, I want to interject real quick. Go ahead. Come on. on pick my, it apart. My inaugural episode, my first four on four, was the four most overrated things to me yeah. that are universally acclaimed. Yes. I remember and, your, your opener. And then what Breaking Bad was one of mine. I, I hear you. And... I, like you, did not watch the show in sort of real time. I I binged watched it a couple summers ago with my wife. And I think one of the reasons that I didn't like it as much was because I binged watched it. Everybody talks about this, like, this transformation that Walter White had from this sort of tepid high school chemistry teacher into... Kingpin. Drug kingpin. Scarface, basically. Right, essentially. And and I guess when you take the time to watch the show and stick with the show over years i guess you appreciate the transformation more but when you see the transformation 
happen in 10 days. It's just, it's just not as it's tough to swallow. Yeah. I understand. I, I, I agree with you. I think the binge watching element almost in a weird way doesn't lend itself well to breaking bad. I think, yes. And I remember the amount of hype that used to happen when I wasn't watching in between. Right. I think that all added to it for I, sure. That's a, another great point. I, it's, I'm not saying it's a bad show. Like to me, it was a really good show, but the hype, that I saw on like Twitter or if I got on, let's say Business Insider mm-hmm. or GQ or something and they'd have a sort of a rewrite of the the last night's episode, it, the hype was just so insane. I guess my expectations were maybe a little too high. Are you ready for my number three? I'm ready. And this is interesting. Another show I have not watched in real time. I actually have watched it in the last two months and I actually have one episode left. So I'm not even complete with my binge watching, I'm savoring this finale. And I didn't think I would like it. Game of Thrones, number three. A lot of people's favorite. Yeah, and it never even came close to my top two. Not even close to my yeah. top two. But Breaking Bad used to be three. Deadwood used to be four. <laughs> so Deadwood got pushed out okay. for Game of Thrones. Right. Breaking Bad falls to four. Game of Thrones, three. And I still have to watch the final episode of season six. So that might... No, I still won't touch my top two. But... What a fantastic, I mean, I don't have to say anything yeah. about it. Everybody knows. Do you watch it or no? I'm so far behind. I watched the first three seasons and then stopped. So I'm about three seasons behind. But at this point, I'm so far behind. And there's so many complex sort of relationships between characters and whatnot. I'm just going to restart. So you that's have to. Yes. So, so this season, my goal, I have two goals. I want to watch Game of Thrones, get caught up in Game of Thrones. And then I want to watch every season of The Wire. Those are my two goals. Well, that's called, in the business, we call that foreshadowing because (laughs) that is my number two and easily could be my number one. The closeness between my number two and my number one, like it's separated by a a vote, even though I'm the only person voting. Uh, That is the most underrated show to ever be on television. The reason why I say underrated is because fans of the show don't underrate it. And I was talking to Lev about this recently. The fact that The Wire has never once received an award, be it acting, writing, directing, anything. I think it says a lot about the business at the time back then, yes. for sure. Yeah, great point. Um, but I, it's just baffling to me. I dare any of you listening, if you haven't watched The Wire, if you have the time, start from episode one and continue. I dare you to find a more well-done, well-executed, well-acted. It just doesn't, it's not there. And a lot of those actors weren't famous at the time and they've gone on to have incredible careers of course the number one guy you think of is idris elba he's yes and no you had michael b jordan at like 11 uh, years old yeah, that's true. he's like 11 years old killing it is he bigger than idris at this point though idris is huge no it's different because idris is, has a few more years on him yeah, yeah. so he's open to roles that yeah. are bigger that yeah. michael b jordan but he crushed creed i mean i love yeah. i really loved creed yeah. so All right, so number one number one Best show ever. It it might be because I'm Italian, but I also, again, I dare you to find a better television, The Sopranos. I knew it. It's, I've, I've gone through that show start to finish probably five times. My brother and I, every Christmas, sit down and we start it and then we each go, I come back to LA, he stays in New York and we just carry on. I've never watched The Sopranos. So once I get through The Wire. What? No, I, I know. The I literally have only seen one episode of The Sopranos, JJ. and it was the episode where he he goes out to the deserts and and, and takes peyote. JJ, I, the one thing I would say, I, I'm just looking at your list because I wrote it down as you said it. 
you're you're a little bit of an HBO homer. I'm gonna say it. I, I am, and also three of your four shows. But were see, HBO I, shows. and if you want to know my my other one, it is it's interesting. I don't have comedies in there because I really find it hard to separate. I just think it's basketball versus football. Yeah. So it's like you asking me my favorite four basketball players. You know, I can't name a football player in there. Right. Similar to drama and comedy, and I just lean toward drama a little bit more. Yeah. But Curb is one of the all time. That's another yeah. HBO show. That yeah. that one's up there. But yeah, man, Sopranos, dude. I have you seen Mad Men? No. Okay. So I have not seen The Wire. I have not seen The Sopranos. I've not finished Game of Thrones. But Mad Men is my favorite. That's your show. show. That's your show. And that was a show that I I started in season one with everyone else. Was a a loyal viewer throughout. I think I binge watched one season. It was either season four or season five and all the way up into the end. And I just, I think it was so well done. Same writer as the Sopranos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think I would probably like the Sopranos. And the, the legend, I don't know if this is a true story, but the myth that I think it's even in books and articles like Matt, I th- Matt Weiner, I believe his yeah, name yeah. is. Yeah. Matt Weiner. I think he tried to sell HBO Mad Men and they passed, which is. <laughs> Like Mad Men could have yeah. easily been, I think, a part of that HBO. I think. I don't quote me. That's not a re- that that's not fact. But that was the word on the street. Um, you have such a good future. You got Sopranos and The Wire ahead of you. I'm I'm envious. I know. I think of anything. I'm most excited for The Wire. It's it's it, I'm, I'm most excited. It's perfect because it's it's a you know what. Like Jamal Crawford always says, if if I had an alley, The Wire would be right up it. <laughs> do you watch a lot of movie, TV movies on the roads? That do you I mean, get it's to? All, it's, you're on the bus or the plane or a hotel. You're always it's, watching. I'm it, right? always watching something. I'm either reading a book or I'm binge watching something. I mean, there's really no. Or listening to podcasts now, which I've started to do in the last year. Jerry, I really appreciate the time. Again, Jerry's podcast, bad for business, bad for sports. He is on Power, on Stars, and just an all-around great guy. Thanks a lot for the time, man. Anytime, man. This was great. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. We'd like to thank today's guest, Jerry Ferrara. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. You can tweet me at JJ Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Mac Weldon and SeatGeek. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at The Vertical Podcast. We'll catch you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.